Father, as we read your word, please would you illumine our hearts and minds by your spirit to hear the words of the Bible as indeed your word spoken to us and the words of preaching as your application, as your help and encouragement. And give power to those words that we might become more like Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Get to read from Matthew chapter 6. Jesus' master class, as it were, on prayer. And who could we want to learn more about prayer from than him who prayed perfectly? Who never gave up in prayer, never flagged? who never prayed the wrong thing, who prayed without sin and perfectly, who more could we want to learn how to pray from than the Lord Jesus Christ? Here's what he says. We'll begin at verse 5. This is Matthew 6, verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard by their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But you do not forgive other, if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I said there is no one that we should more look to to learn about prayer than the Lord Jesus Christ, the ultimate and perfect prayer. I guess we all want a masterclass. I am a very poor sports coach. I have to coach sports, um, hockey, cricket, rugby, even netball over the course of the year. I'm not a great coach, but I can imagine telling my pupils, look, someone is coming in next week who's a Premier League manager to teach you some football. They would be far more excited than learning from me because they are the master. And yet, if that master came in, the the, the top Premier League manager to teach them some football and said, right, what we're going to do is some basic drills. Let's get the cones out and, and dribble the ball back and forth, pass it back and forth. They'd be slightly disappointed with anticlimax. And yet, in a way, that is what the Lord Jesus Christ gives us here. Here are his disciples that were asking, tell us how to pray. Expect that's the master class about the, the higher reaches of, of mystical prayer as their souls be lifted up to God. And what do they get? The bare, simplest teaching. Here is a prayer that you could pray by rote. We're going to focus on, on the Lord's Prayer. When you pray, pray like this. Here are some words that you could say, I've just said them in 30 seconds, that give the, 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 the mere minimum, as it were, the barest essentials of, of what we could pray and, and offer to God. Something, again, that, that could just be 
read off by rote. It's the, the prayer equivalent of, of the basic drills, dribbling the ball back and forward, passing it back and forth to one another. Jesus' disciples may have been insulted. Do you not think we've got beyond the basics? And Jesus say, you never get beyond the basics. To learn how to pray, you need to learn how to pray like this. Now, there's so much that can be said about the Lord's Prayer. You could preach a whole sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. I, I won't. I'm here um, just for this evening. But I want to see just, I guess, the, the big picture of the Lord's Prayer. The, the assumptions that lie behind it. It is to miss the, the wood for the trees. It, it is a good thing to go through the Lord's Prayer and, and work out in each petition how we could unpack it, what we could pray for. If you've never read it, Martin Luther's little book written for his bar, barber called Peter, A Simple Way to Pray. Is a fantastic unpacking of each of the, 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 the requests of the Lord's Prayer into huge detail. Here's all the things it means to, to pray for God's kingdom to come. All the things that that brings to mind to me as I, I pray that in. But here I don't want to do all of that. I want to just look at the, the, the big picture, the, the biggest possible principles. After all, that's what I guess we should learn first of all. Not a prayer that we should just learn by rote, although we could. It's a good thing to, to learn the Lord's Prayer, to teach it to our children, teach them to pray it, to, to pray it as a church family. But, but more, I guess, what lies behind that. And say so we might study a great poem, a, a Shakespeare sonnet, not to try and reproduce whatever I can that's as much like Shakespeare, as if if I use V and vow a lot, then suddenly I'll become a better poet. But to think, well, what makes this a great poem? Not to slavishly copy it, although... There's nothing wrong with praying the Lord's Prayer as it is. But to think, what does this tell me about, for want of a better description, great praying? What does this tell me about what it is to, 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 to pray and to, to really pray? To, to really pour out my heart to God in a way which I know will be pleasing to him. If there's one thing I think which will run all the way through this, it's this. Real prayer, the prayer that we see enshrined in the Lord's Prayer is, is humble prayer. It's prayer which gets ourselves out of the way and puts God at the centre. True humility. True humility is not to, to do ourselves down and say, I'm, I'm rubbish. But it's to forget ourselves. To get ourselves out of the way and to put God in the centre. Pick out five, I think, things that we can learn about the humility of the Lord's Prayer. And the first is this. That when we pray, we should pray humbly with simple words. We should pray humbly with simple words words. What does real prayer look like? I guess all of us feel in our prayer lives we want more. If, if you don't, there's something wrong. None of us should say, I'm, I'm completely satisfied. I've reached the heights of, of prayer because we're not yet in glory where we see God face to face. But if prayer went well, if we think of what we long for in prayer, what we long for in, in real prayer, what would it be? Well, here we see what real prayer looks like. The, the kind of prayer the Lord Jesus Christ offered. And, and it's not the, the, the contemplation of, of, of icons, of, of pictures, or a beautiful sunset. It's not defined by some mystical silence and, and union with, with God emerging into the divine being, not waiting on a, on a still small voice to speak to us. Real prayer, the prayer that Jesus models, is just words. It is speaking. When Jesus says, here's how to pray, he might miss it 
It's obvious in the background, but he says, say something. Speak, pray, use words. And at that, use simple words. This is not a, a theologically complex prayer. Though there are riches to it to unpack that could take a, a lifetime. It, it is a simple prayer that, that could be understood by, by the newest believer. That, that uses the language of, of fatherhood, of, of our daily bread and debts. That's accessible to anyone. And it's short. It's not a long prayer. As he said, we're not heard for our many words. The exemplary prayer that Jesus offers is one which, again, could be over in in, in tens of of seconds. Real prayer is is not the contemplation of icons or a beautiful sunset, not emerging with God, but is speaking to God in simple and humble words. There's no showing off in the Lord's Prayer. No demonstration of our theological awareness as we get in every Bible verse we can or half a systematic theology jammed into our prayers. It's just a simple pouring out of our hearts to God for what we need. Perhaps some of you here feel disqualified in prayer because your prayers are not complex enough. There's nothing wrong with complex prayers. I'm in a church where several of my brothers and sisters are studying for PhDs. Their prayers are full of theology. It's their day job. And I delight to hear them and pray and to pray with them. But God's exemplary prayer is is not a PhD thesis. It's the Lord's Prayer. It is simple words. We're not disqualified by the simplicity of our words and even of our thoughts. If we pour out our hearts to God, he receives us and hears us. And that is real prayer. Perhaps there's a more subtle mistake that happened here. A more subtle failure of humility. The constant drag of our hearts will be to look at ourselves and our performance. To to think about the words that I'm praying. To to, to think about whether I'm using the right sort of words, the wrong sort of words. I'm praying for the right things, the wrong things. Not bad things to think about in and of themselves. But the way in which our heart could subtly become turned in upon ourselves. There is a great gift in the simplicity of the Lord's Prayer. By being so simple and so short, our minds are set not on ourselves and what we're going to say next, but on God. The simplicity of the pouring out of our hearts allows us to get ourselves out of the way. Just say this, these simple childlike words, just do it. Don't disqualify yourself by the simplicity. Don't tangle yourself in knots to try and pray in the right way that's expected. Just put your eyes on God and pour out your heart in simple words. Pray humbly with simple words. The Lord's Prayer is nothing if not simple words. Here's the second thing. Pray humbly to our Father in heaven. Pray humbly to our Father in heaven. When we pray, it is not if we're praying the Lord's Prayer or taking the Lord's Prayer as our model to a God who is unknown. I do not go in like when I meet someone for the first time, like I'm meeting many of you for the first time this evening, and say, well, the more time I spend with you, the more I'll find out about what you're like. I don't know you from from Adam to begin with, but as we get to know one another, we'll find out more each other alike. Either for better, in my case, or for worse, in your case, to get to know me. But as we get to know one another, we will find out more. When it comes to God, we know who he is before we start. We don't pray to an unknown God who we will discover in the process of prayer. We pray to one who we name right at the beginning. Our Father 
in heaven. He is the Father, an assumed intimacy, not the one who is the king, not a relationship that belongs in, in the pageantry of pageantry of, of heralds and, and courts, but in a home, the simple intimacy of a father with his children. More, our father. Now here's something you may not have spotted before. Isn't it interesting that throughout the Lord's Prayer, again and again, it's in the plural. It's perhaps a strange and small thing, but Jesus has just told us that when we pray, to go and pray in private. His assumption is that our prayer will be first and foremost and ultimately and essentially a private matter between us and God. And yet as we pray, all the way through, it is our Father, forgive us our sins. At that moment of, of greatest intimacy, there is a, a note of the presence of others. Why? I guess it's just a hint there that we pray with another who is the true son. He is our father, the father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the God and father of the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore our father as well who are in him. We never pray alone to the father because we pray in and through and with the Lord Jesus Christ. More is it not just a hint that, that even as we are separate, we pray as the church. It would be impossible, wouldn't it, to pray to our Father in heaven and pray against the the interests of our brothers and sisters. When I pray, I pray to my God and your God, our God, our Father in heaven. And even in that, they're not just a note of of humility. At the moment of, of most personal and deepest intimacy with God, when it is just him and me, when I could think myself very important as I speak to the God of, of heaven and earth who does all things. But even then at that moment of, of, I guess, great power, as I get to speak into the frame room of the universe, still I remember that I'm just one among many, part of a, of a family. He's not my father, but our father, the father of Christ, the father of brothers and sisters, the father of the church. Our Father in heaven. I guess the balance, that intimacy of relationship, that he's not just any father, and we'll have different experiences of our human fathers, but the Father in heaven, who has all power, not just good will towards us, but power to affect that will and answer our prayers and, and do us good. A father who we are intimate with and yet we approach in reverence and awe because he is set above the heavens. He's greater, more glorious than any human being, far greater and more glorious than us, one for whom we must be humble. I'll say everything we could about just those words, our father in heaven, and yet surely we can see at the heart it must be something like this, our humility. Again, we learn to throw ourselves on the ground before the one who is in heaven and yet deigns to be our father. We see in the moment of greatest intimacy that we are one among many, that we pray with others, that we come together. And we see, going back to this point, that we don't come to a God that we don't know. We come to a God who we assume in advance is somebody, is 
something, is a certain person, has a certain character, an identity. He is our Father in heaven. The Lord's Prayer, as it were, starts halfway through. It assumes what has come before. It assumes who Christ is. It assumes his kingdom and relationship. It assumes new birth. If you're here this evening and you don't know Christ, don't know God truly, have never put your trust in him, that is the first thing needful. Don't go and pray and hope to find out who God is. Put your trust in Jesus. Only when you cry on, call upon God as your Father in heaven, our Father in heaven, will you really begin to pray. Will you really know the intimacy and, and reality of prayer? This is a conversation where it begins halfway through. It assumes something has come before, an adoption into God's family. If you are a Christian, then, then know that the God you go to is not a mystery. He is our Father in heaven. And so come humbly. Pray with simple words. Pray humbly with simple words. Pray humbly to our Father in heaven. Thirdly, pray humbly for the glory of God. Pray humbly for the glory of God. Now, if you were to set me off praying, leave me to my own device and say, just start praying for whatever you think you want to pray for. What will I pray for naturally? The answer is that the things that seem most urgent to me. The needs that, that, that I have the needs that I have to to grow and be more godly, the the pressure of the situations I find myself in. Now, those desires may be good. They may even be godly. But in a certain sense, they they are self-centered. They begin with, with me and what I need, the situation I find myself in. And yet, the Lord's Prayer does not begin there. It's notable that the Lord's Prayer begins not with us, but with God. We, as it were, don't appear directly and explicitly until halfway through the prayer. The first half of the prayer is concerned not with ourselves, but with God and his glory. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Our first priority in prayer, if we follow the Lord's prayer, is God and his glory. What? bothers me most when I pray? What is most upon my heart? What most grieves me that I would see corrected? What can't I bear to continue? If we follow the priorities of the Lord's Prayer, it it will be the, the lack of glory given to God. That his name is not hallowed. That his kingdom has not come in the doing of his will on earth as it is in heaven. One of the constant surprises of Christian life is that it's all real. There really is a God who made all things, who sent his son into the world, who died on a cross and rose again. And yet we look around the world around us, the world in which we, I guess we inhabit, many of us, nine to five or through the day, through the week, and there is no speech of, of glory or of God and his glory of living to his name, a world which is, or imagines itself to be an atheistic, secular one, closed off from anything outside. That should grieve us more than anything else, more than anything that could possibly happen to me. After all, harm me and you've done something wrong, but, but rob God of his glory, and you have done something of infinite, infinite wickedness. 
Think of the distress of, of Paul in Athens at, at the worship of, of idols. He can't bear the idea that people would not give to God the glory that he deserves. Or of Henry Martin, the great missionary to, to India and Pakistan. There's a story of a time when he was deeply grieved. His friends wrote that there is an instance of his deep jealousy for the honour of Christ. That the same mullah, Muslim leader quoted to Martin some verses which celebrated the Muslim victory. In which so many Christians were killed that Christ from the fourth heaven, took hold of Muhammad's skirt to entreat him to desist. See the point? It was this, this imam said, there's once a battle that was so bad for Christians that, that Jesus had to pray to Muhammad and said, please, would you ask God to stop this? Martin was cut to the soul by this blasphemy. His friends, realising how troubled he was, inquired why it was so offensive to him. I told him, Martin said that I could not endure existence if Jesus was not glorified. It would be hell to me if he were always to be thus dishonoured. Tell me, Martin, it was hell for Christ to be dishonoured, for God to be real, for the gospel to be true, for Christ to be the Son of God, and yet to be dishonoured and spoken of ill. Put me on my knees, and my first concern should be that God is not honoured. Hallowed be your name. That is the, the model of, of humble prayer. A prayer that begins, not even in, in I guess, a, a godly way with me, but begins with, with God. That's not looking at myself and my needs, but is looking to God and, and the dishonour done to him. Him and his glory. That has a burning desire to see God's glory come in the world and be seen for what it is. It's easy to become subtly self-centred in our prayers as as we, our performance, our words become the centre of our attention rather than the God who hears our prayer, who will answer them and ultimately is the defining feature of, of what we should be praying for. Prayer should be in accordance with God's will and character will begin with God and then proceed to us is as we pray, yes, for us to be those who would hallow God's name and yes, for us to be those who do his will but begin, first of all, with him in adoration and thanksgiving, recognition of his glory, and desire that's seen in his world. We should pray humbly for God's glory. We should pray humbly for grace. We should pray humbly for grace. Lord's Prayer begins with God's glory, but it does move to us. We do pray for ourselves. We, we don't merely pray for God. I guess we are implicit in the first half of the, the prayer as those who want to hallow God's name, but in the second half we become explicit in verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. But the Lord's Prayer is is surprisingly narrow. It it prays for ourselves but, but not for everything that we could pray for. In some ways it prays, I guess, for the bare minimum. It's like prays knowing who we are. We don't pray and say, Father, make me useful for the salvation of, of thousands. Grow me in the greatness of my godliness. Make me a mighty servant of God. But rather says, pray, rather we pray for forgiveness, for grace. We don't pray for greatness of provision. Think of that prayer. Give us 
this day our daily bread. And, and how, in some sense, humble it is. The Greek's difficult, but, but basically it means something along the lines of, give us today the bread for the coming day, or give us the coming day's bread. I don't wake up in the morning, if I pray the Lord's Prayer, or pray in accord of it, and pray for a useful career and provision for the next 20 years. I don't pray for a Ferrari, but more than that, I don't even pray for anything beyond what I need to get through to 5 o'clock that evening. Give us today my bread for the coming day. I wake up each day and look at what's coming and say, just get me to bed tonight. Get me through today. I ask no more than that. Get me through the coming day. And let's say I wake up and pray the same thing again. There are two days in the Bible that we're called to look at, two times. called to look to today and to eternity, never to yesterday or tomorrow. It's a humble prayer. It asks for no more than we need. It asks for no more than we deserve, but just to get us through the rest of the day. Just give me what I need to keep going. And the prayer for forgiveness is a prayer that is full of of a knowledge of of our weakness. Knowing that far from being the solution to the world's problems, I'm I'm the cause of them. Far from needing to, to be made hugely useful to others, I need to be kept from doing them harm. Knowing that far from throwing me into a difficult situation so I can prove my faith, I need to be kept away from evil and temptation. That that I am in many ways spiritually a failure. What I need is is forgiveness, protection from temptation, protection from evil and the evil one. A prayer full of humility, a right understanding of God's glory and next to his glory a right understanding of my weakness and need of help the concern for, for others even in our, our prayer forgives us again a reminder isn't it that we only come as one among many again I'm not even the mighty sinner the one who exists in alone and unique and special before God but, but forgive us our sins I'm concerned not just for myself, but for the church, even at that moment of greatest intimacy. Is that the tenor of your prayers for yourself? Do, do you focus on the inward, your need for grace, rather than the outward? There's nothing wrong with praying for, for the outward, our, our, our greater and physical needs, but, but is the heart of your prayer for, for grace and forgiveness and a closer walk with God and what you need merely to get through the day that you might usefully serve Jesus in the time ahead, rather than grand plans and visions for the future. That would be the natural way to pray if you begin with God, the, the, the humble prayer, the Lord's Prayer. If you see his glory, begin with that. Empty your mind of yourself in self-forgetfulness as you are taken up and captivated by the glory and greatness of God. A final point. We pray humbly as the fruit of living humbly. It's a strange connection that Jesus makes, even in the prayer itself, between us forgiving others and God forgiving us. Forgive us our debt, that is our our sins before God, the debt we've incurred before him, as we have forgiven our debtors. As if to emphasize the point, it's the immediate point afterwards. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Why make that connection? Is God saying you need to reach some bar of forgiveness? 
You need to be forgiving enough in order to be forgiven. Well, the whole tenor of the Bible and of the Gospel is against that. The idea that we earn in any way God's forgiveness. But by forgiving others or by anything else. God's forgiveness is offered freely to sinners. In their sins, while they are still enemies, who come in repentance and faith. Indeed, I don't even think the point here is to bang us over the head. As if every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, we should go away feeling guilty that we've not been forgiving enough of others. On the contrary, the of the Lord's Prayer is that we can pray these words with sincerity. Because every person who prays the Lord's Prayer to their Father in Heaven knows grace, has a new heart, and therefore has overflowed in forgiveness for others. Far from trying to make us feel bad because we don't live up to it, it is merely describing the ordinary experience of every Christian believer. That we are those who have experienced and therefore lived out grace. The point is that our our prayer life is inseparable from the rest of our life. We know that, I guess, if we're married from our marriages. There is no intimacy in marriage which, which doesn't t- take in intimacy across the whole of our lives. As if you can have a great date night or, or kind of moment of intimacy when the day-to-day communication is, is horrific and terrible. Intimacy is something which is shaped across a whole life, and our prayer is the same. You, you can't pray a prayer like this, literally with sincerity, if the rest of your life is not shaped by grace. It assumes something about the way that you live and experience God outside of your prayer life. Assumes it for the good. Assumes that every believer will have an increasing life of godliness described by the the Sermon on the Mount. The the manifest, as it were, for our lives as we're made into Christ's image. Your prayer life is inseparable from what happens in the rest of your life. If your prayer life is going badly, look at the rest of your life. Read Psalm 51 for, for a thought on how that might make a difference. But, but the assumption of prayer is that the rest of life isn't going badly. Because you know God and his grace. And so you do know the, the grace to forgive others their, their sins against you. Even as your father forgives even greater sins that you've done against him. It's not disheartening, but rather a reminder that we pray humbly out of a life of humility. Our prayer is just merely the, 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 the natural capstone of an experience of God's grace for all of our life. Humble prayer life overflows from a humble life. There's one more that we say about Lord's Prayer, but I won't. But take away this one thing, if anything. Real prayer is described by Jesus is humble prayer. We should turn away even from the subtle self-centeredness of considering, even in godly ways, our own performance. The subtle self-centeredness of of praying first and foremost for our own needs is as important as it is to pray for our own needs, but not beginning there, but beginning with the glory of God. Beginning with him and and what he is owed and deserves as creator and and saviour of the world. I'm not here commending a particular prayer, although you do a lot worse than praying the Lord's Prayer. Within a particular prayer structure, you must begin with this and, and, and go on to that. But, but rather a, a, a mindset in our prayer that, that matches the mindset that lies behind the Lord Jesus' prayer and the Lord's prayer. A mindset of, of humility and, and, and God-centeredness and focus. Ask not 
first of all, what to pray for, but who to pray to and what he's like. And the rest will follow. Practice humility, not self-hatred and doing yourself down, but self-forgetfulness and God-centeredness and God-glorifying. Let's pray now that God would help us do that. Let's pray. Father, we would pray and say we pray that you would help us to pray. And Father, we pray you would do that first and foremost by showing us your glory. Would we be so taken up by your glory that to focus upon ourselves, whether for pride or despair, would be unthinkable because our minds are so taken up with you. We never lack something to pray for because we long for your glory and your will to be done. We never put ourselves at the centre, but rather knowing and seeing more and more of your glory. Put you at the centre of everything, even as you are at the centre of our lives day by day. And in that, would we taste, even in our prayer this week, a foretaste of, of heaven, where we'll behold your glory forever. In Jesus' name. Amen.